0: This is the middle of nowhere, and the place we're going to talk about is the only lodging on the island, and they have some what they call housekeeping cabins.
1: Yeah, you got it. If you stay there, you have to clean your room and two other (laughs) cabins (laughs) as part of the deal. I thought that was weird (laughs) that we were making other people's beds, but that's why they call it housekeeping cabins.
0: Oh, that's funny because you're such a germaphobe. You would you wouldn't last. <laughs> I would two not seconds. do that. <laughs> I, I would not do that.
1: This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast: stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith,
0: and I'm Karen Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. One of the most important parts of planning any national park trip is figuring out where to stay. And many of the parks have a barrage of choices, both in and outside of the park. Everything from luxury hotels to tent camping sites.
1: And an option that falls right in the middle would be a cabin. It's a step up in comfort from a canvas tent, but still gives you that rustic, out-in-nature vibe. On today's episode, we'll be talking about cabins that you can book inside the national parks.
0: We've stayed in a wide variety of cabins throughout the parks, and we'll share information about the cabins and what that experience was like. From rustic to romantic, each one has been unique and very, very memorable.
1: You know, Karen, I love staying inside the park
0: that's the best of all possible worlds really because you've got the evenings and the early mornings before and or after the day trippers have come and gone and you know, the park is like a different place. It's such a good time to wander around, and sometimes you get to see more wildlife than you otherwise would have.
1: I like to leave the windows open in in our cabins, and then deer usually poke their heads in the window <laughs> in the morning.
0: Bambi and Thumper show up. But staying in a cabin does have a different feel than staying in a lodge hotel room.
1: It does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the lodges are great and mm. cool, but a cabin... You kind of have your own little place.
0: That's right. And you do feel like you're out in nature more than you would be in a lodge setting. Now, we did, I had to look this up, Matt, because it was such a long time ago. We did do an episode about the historic National Park Lodges. Uh, That was episode number four.
1: (laughs) Wow. Wow three and a half years ago. No. If yes, we were we were youngsters back then.
0: I know. But anyway, in that particular episode, we didn't talk at all about the cabins that are available inside the national parks most of them in conjunction with the lodges.
1: Right, but that's what we're going to do in this episode and we should just mention that in all the lodges, cabins or rooms, whatever, they book out usually a year in advance. Sometimes, what, 12 to 13 months ahead of time?
0: Most of them, yes. There are a few that aren't, are on a different schedule. But if you're interested, you should start looking. Well, you should be online 13 months ahead of time just in case that's one of the parks that opens up their reservations then. And of course, as we mentioned many times, you can also try to catch cancellations,
1: Right. The trick there is to look at what the cancellation policy is on the room. So if let's say it says seven days out or something like that, you can cancel no charge or limited fee up to seven days before. And so you know that that's when everyone's going to start canceling, right? Like seven or eight days out. And that's when the rooms open up. And then of course, last minute, if you have the flexibility to just go right away.
0: And, you know, one of the nice things, too, is that a lot of these reservations that are now online, they also have an availability calendar. So if your schedule is somewhat flexible, you could pull up, you know, a place you've always wanted to stay and just randomly look and see. Like, for instance, yesterday I was looking at the Grand Canyon Lodge. That's the one on the north rim. We're going to talk about that. And I just randomly, you know, plugged in next week and they had cabins available.
1: Are we going? next week we going? <laughs> it's
0: very tempting and it's funny because when you look at their september calendar everything was sold out and october up until the day they closed was sold out but next week you could go t- and stay in a cabin at the north rim so it's definitely worth checking these um, online calendars just to see what pops up
1: okay so let's book the north rim before <laughs> thursday when this episode comes out <laughs> <laughs> because those, those availabilities will be gone.
0: Yes. Now, one more note about making reservations um, in these national park lodges and cabins. We have said this before. We would recommend not using a website called National Park Reservations. And this is a website that pops up in a Google search as the very first choice, usually.
1: Yeah, yeah. You you want to book With the lodge itself, right? Not through another service, nothing against those services, but they do a lot of times, at, a, at an additional fee.
0: Right. We accidentally booked in um, Grand Teton National Park through National Park Reservations a few years ago, not realizing what it was. And when we booked it and they sent the confirmation, there was a $75 extra charge added onto that. So we immediately canceled and, and went back to to the website for the lodge itself. So just just a heads up on that.
1: And before you finalize your reservation, you'll want to make sure you know what you're getting when you reserve one of these cabins. A lot of the cabins in the national parks, they don't have kitchens. Some of them don't even have coffee
0: makers. Well, exactly. And some of them don't even have a bathroom inside the cabin. There are some that have, you know, like a... A bucket? (laughs) No, not a bucket. (laughs) Although that would be handy in the middle of the night. (laughs) Uh, no, there's like a central building, so you want to make sure when you book it that you understand what exactly is in is in your cabin, what comes with your cabin. Um, so before we dive in, we just wanted to mention a couple pros and cons of staying in a cabin.
1: The the pros are <laughs> it's it's nice to have your own little building. Sometimes the cabins are duplex. Uh, which is we 've never found that to be a big deal,
0: no, you just share one wall, um, and usually we never hear the people in the cabin next to us but But yeah, it is nice to um to have some space where there are not people. On both sides of you, people above you, people below you, and especially if you're bringing you know, kids who you know are going to be making some noise and you don't want to bother other people, a cabin is a really great choice.
1: Right. You generally don't have people doing jumping jacks above you <laughs> in, in a cabin, which just seems like every motel room we, we stay in these days. Um, a lot of jumping, jacks a lot jacks of going jumping on. jacks <laughs> going on at at eleven o'clock at night. Uh, yeah, but but you also a lot of the cabins will have porches and little chairs that you can sit out.
0: Yes, it's a great way to feel like you're a part of nature, but still be in a lodge complex.
1: Now, also, you should know though a few of the cons. Most of them don't have TVs.
0: Yeah, and I would say, like, we don't care about that, and most people don't. But again, if you have some small children who want to watch Bluey in the morning...
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Bluey marathon's on today, there's no TV in the cabin.
0: Right, just be prepared, because there might be some disappointment. (laughs) Uh,
1: Also, a lot of times the Wi-Fi is non-existent or Mm. really bad. Cell service is also pretty sketchy.
0: Right, and you know... When you look at these um, park websites, they state that and they say the reason for this is because they want people to have the ability to escape from all of our um, screens and things, which is great. However, the reality is, we know that a lot of people have to stay in touch with the real world, Uh, you know, family members and businesses and things that might be at a crucial point. So if this is important to you, make sure you research that because I'd say the majority of them do not have Wi-Fi and most of them do not have cell service available.
1: But you know what they do have, Karen? <laughs> <laughs> they have critters.
0: We're listing that under the cons section. <laughs> Sometimes
1: they have critters.
0: Sometimes there are some little mice that that might get in and, and share the room with you. <laughs> oh, you know,
1: and... If you leave your duffel bag open at night and then the next day you zip up your duffel bag and you move on to the next place, you get to bring some of those critters with you.
0: That's right. They get to travel on the rest of your trip with
1: you, <laughs> or just to the next cabin. Yeah, and then they realize they're another national park. They're just they're they're going to all the national parks too.
0: And you know, sometimes, of course, you also have some insects that might be joining you. So,
1: so uh, you want to hear about all these great cabins? now? Yes,
0: let's get started. All right. Okay, we're going to start in our home state of Washington, and this might be one of our absolute favorite cabins. This is in Olympic National Park at Lake Crescent, Lake Crescent Lodge. Now, they have a variety of different kinds of cabins and also some motel-type rooms available.
1: Right. Now, the operating season this year was April 28th of 2023, and it goes all the way to January 1st of 2024. However, in the winter months, it's just the Roosevelt cabins that are open, and those are only open on the weekends.
0: Right. But just note, the rest of the lodge is not open, so there is no food service. You need to bring your own food and so on. But that's a cool thing because those Roosevelt cabins have fireplaces, and it's you know kind of a romantic, rustic getaway in the winter. Now, here's the thing, Matt. When I started digging into the history of all these cabins, there was so much fascinating information that I could talk for a long time about the history of every single cabin. But I'm going to try to keep it moving because we have a lot of cabins to talk about. Got
1: keep, to keep it going.
0: <laughs> but i just kind of like to mention how these cabins got their start. So briefly, I will say that in 1914... Avery Singer and his wife, Julia, bought about eight acres on the Lake South Shore, and within months, they constructed a two-story lodge building and cabins. This was called Singer's Lake Crescent Tavern, and it was quickly one of the most widely known resorts on the Olympic Peninsula. What's really important about this is during the 1930s, when people were talking about establishing a national park on the Olympic Peninsula, this was being hotly debated in Congress and... In the fall of 1937, Singer's Lake Crescent Tavern received their most important guest ever, President Franklin D. Roosevelt. He came, he was greeted in Port Angeles by a crowd and a parade, and then the presidential party proceeded to Lake Crescent Tavern, where Roosevelt and his entourage spent the evening of September 30th. And the really important thing about this is he was so enthusiastic about this place that this led to the legislation that created Olympic National Park in 1938. So all that being said, you can now stay in the same place where President D. Roosevelt stayed in 1937.
1: Very exciting, (laughs) yeah.
0: Yeah, so even though it's now called Lake Crescent Lodge, They've named a section of cabins the Singer Tavern Cabins, and that's where we always like to stay.
1: We've stayed there several times. Yeah, we love those little cabins. The first time was with Bob and Sue, their family, and our family. On our second stay, I had reserved a Singer Tavern Cottage, and the website says they all have lake views. But after we parked and we were walking to the logs to check in, I noticed that one of the cottages at the end was turned it was like turned 90 degrees and it faced the other cabins not the lake i I noticed that walking in
0: (laughs) and as we walked by you pointed it out and you said i wonder who the poor sucker was who ended up with the only cabin that doesn't face the lake
1: yeah yeah i wonder who that poor sucker was (laughs) it was actually suckers It was us.
0: It was you and me, baby. Yep.
1: And I tried my hardest to talk them out of that, but my my powers of persuasion just weren't up to it, up no. to the task.
0: And they were sold out, which they always are. And so there literally was no other cabin to go to. So just note that there is one cabin. They all say they have a leg view, but actually one doesn't. One does not.
1: <laughs> it faces the other cabins. Right, right. So you can... If you look at the windows of the other cabins, sometimes you can see the reflection of the lake. (laughs) And then sometimes just all the people sitting out on their porches enjoying (laughs) looking at the lake. Like if they have sunglasses on, you can see little parts of the lake (laughs) reflecting in their mirror sunglasses. So that's a bonus.
0: That is a bonus. (laughs) But regardless, this is one of the most beautiful settings of any of the cabins we're going to talk about because it's right on beautiful Lake Crescent and there are mountains behind the lake and the lake is this really pretty kind of turquoise blue color. So gorgeous place to stay. Um, highly recommend if you can get a cabin there, any cabin really.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's Lake Crescent Lodge in Olympic National Park. We're going to stay in Olympic National Park, but we're going to go down to... Kalalock Lodge Cabins.
0: Yes, and we actually stayed there for the first time this past January. So Kalalock Lodge sits along the coast, you know, of the Pacific Ocean. It's the coastal part of the park. It's open all year, and it's a really good place to stay to access the entire western side of the park.
1: Yeah, all the beaches there. We did a whole episode mm-hmm. on that. Uh yeah, I mean Olympic National Park is A little spread out, particularly it's got the, you know, the mountainous areas and then it's got the beaches. So it's, it's a great home base.
0: You cannot beat the location, and the history of the property dates back to the 1920s when Charles Becker Sr. purchased 40 acres of land, and he built the original lodge and these cabins. He constructed the lodge out of lumber that was milled from large pieces of driftwood that washed up on the surrounding beach, so that's pretty cool. Free wood. Yes, free wood, and it definitely gives it that beachy vibe. Um, so Claylock's main lodge was built in 1953, and in 1978, the entire property was sold to the National Park Service.
1: Yeah. Now, the cabins, they're in two separate rows. Right on the bluff, you have the bluff cabins, and they overlook the ocean and Claylock Creek. And then the second row that that sits a little bit further back, those are the Claylock cabins. They're log cabin-style cottages, and we stayed in one of those.
0: Yes, and we actually loved it. It was very cozy. It had a small kitchen. It had a wood-burning fireplace. So most of these cabins do offer kitchens, kitchenettes, fireplaces, and wood-burning stoves. So, you know, this is a great place. You can you could cook some of your own meals if you wanted to, even though there is a restaurant on site.
1: Yeah, and even though that second row of cabins that sits a little bit back from the water, we had our windows open you can still hear the ocean
0: yes and we kind of had peekaboo views also <laughs> Yeah. and the thing about this place and olympic national park is you can visit all year round this lodge is open all year i don't know if we already mentioned that but even when we went in january and it was kind of misty and rainy it's a great place to storm watch or just walk on the beach in seclusion <laughs> so this is a this is a place that you could visit all year round
1: and it has a beachy vibe
0: beachy vibe that's right got
1: that okay let's move to south dakota let's go to the badlands karen
0: okay and cedar pass lodge which is open from well this year it was april 21st through october 23rd now even though it's called cedar pass lodge there is no actual lodge that you can stay in it is only a series of cabins
1: yeah they have a building that's a combination gift shop, little restaurant, and then the administrative offices for the cabin, but it's not really a lodge.
0: That's right. So these cabins have been redone. I guess in the winters of 2012 and 2013, um, local craftsmen worked on these in Rapid City, South Dakota, and then the final cabins were placed on site in the park in the fall of 2013.
1: But they did a good job because the the exteriors, they designed them to look like the original cabin. Cabins that were built in 1928 at, at Cedar Pass, except these are very energy efficient.
0: Yes, they are. And it's cool. They did such a beautiful job on the interior, too, because they used um, fallen beetle kill pine wood from the Black Hills of South Dakota. And it does have this really unique look. At Some of it has kind of a bluish tint to it. And so it was very cool that they could repurpose this wood. Yeah, they did a fantastic job. Everything is new. And these actually do have TVs. <laughs> they do have TVs. We didn't
1: see if if, if they had any channels that, that show the Bluey series.
0: We did not check that out. Uh, but what we did check out, they have great front and back porches with wonderful, comfortable furniture. And so it was fun to sit out there and have our coffee in the morning and look at the gorgeous Badlands. So... Again, this is a great place to stay. There aren't very many cabins. I can't remember how many there were. I I didn't see this when I looked it up. No,
1: but we've had luck uh, catching cancellations. We've stayed there several times Mm -hmm. have fond memories.
0: Yes, and it's a great location. It's very close to the visitor center as well. So snap this up if you can get it. Otherwise, you're either camping or you're staying in Wall, South Dakota, or possibly as far away as Rapid City.
1: Okay, let's move to the state of Utah. Let's go to Zion, the Zion Lodge, which is open year-round.
0: Yes, and if you haven't stayed in the lodge, one of the advantages of staying here is that you get to drive your own car into the canyon. Whereas, you know, during the busy season, of course, you have to take the shuttle. So the Zion National Park Lodge lets guests drive into the lodge that they mail you a red permit you put it on your car you have access and then it's validated by the front desk when you check in so that's kind of a cool thing
1: Well, I like staying there because it's a historic property with a fascinating story.
0: (laughs) Oh, is that right? (laughs) Okay, well, thanks for the lead-in on that. You know, the building of Zion Lodge was actually a compromise between the Union Pacific Railroad and the National Park Service. The Union Pacific wanted to come in and build a hotel in Zion Canyon once they had a railroad spur built from Cedar City. So after months of negotiations, the company brokered a deal with the NPS to build a luxurious hotel in Zion National Park. But construction didn't begin right away because the two sides couldn't agree on the size of the building. The Union Pacific Railway and its lead architect, Gilbert Stanley Underwood, wanted to build a massive structure. So Underwood had been building in the Grand Canyon and Bryce Canyon, and he had these really grandiose buildings, and that's what he wanted to do in Zion. But... Upon reviewing the blueprints, Stephen Mather, who was the director of the National Park Service, insisted that this new hotel be smaller in scale to complement the park's setting in the canyon. So, the two camps ultimately settled on a building that would have a medium frame, as they called it. And furthermore, Underwood modified his design to include rustic cabins situated around the hotel that would offer overflow housing for guests. So, they started building in 1924, but it proved to be a massive undertaking that required, get this, 250,000 board feet of lumber.
1: Wow, that's a lot of lumber.
0: That's a lot of lumber. And the thing is, they had to bring it into the canyon via a wire and pulley tramway called the Cable Mountain Draw Works. Hmm. So not yeah. only did they, it require a lot of uh, lumber, but it was tough to get it in.
1: Yeah, I learned so much listening to you. <laughs> I I could just listen to you for hours.
0: But when the construction finally concluded a year later, the Zion Lodge stood as an engineering marvel. And this is key, Matt. Its architectural appearance served as an example of a unique style that would eventually become known as National Park Service Rustic. So this was kind of the birth of national park service i call it
1: parkitecture
0: is that a phrase you coined (laughs) it's really catchy
1: yeah okay so there you go okay
0: so these cabins are wonderful we've had the chance to stay there several times and this was one of the ones this is a cabin that i would say is romantic we stayed there on one of our wedding anniversaries oh
1: we're gonna cover that okay (laughs) all right everybody (laughs) <laughs> Romance in the park.
0: <laughs> they have these um, gas fireplaces that you can flick on with uh, your remote control. You know, we would take in a bottle of wine. Just really updated, charming, romantic, and the setting with the with the cliffs of the canyon rising above. I mean, it's stunning.
1: Yeah, I love these cabins. Yes. Now we've also stayed in the lodge, yes. but if you can get a cabin, that's what we would suggest.
0: Okay, moving on a little further to the east, the sister park, if you will, is Bryce Canyon in Utah, and they have a lodge there situated right on the rim of the amphitheater, and the Bryce Canyon Lodge is open from April 30th to November 1st-ish.
1: And they have 15 deluxe cabins right there on the mesa top that's one-eighth of a mile from the rim. You could almost throw a rock there. You'd have to throw the rock maybe two or three times, but but it's close to the rim, which is really nice, especially early morning, late at night.
0: Oh, gosh, the location is fantastic. And to, to step out of your cabin and watch the sunrise and the sunset is a priceless experience. Now, I just wanted to mention quickly that these cabins are also the work of master architect Gilbert Stanley Underwood.
1: That guy again?
0: That guy again. And again, this is the rustic architecture that he started in Zion, and he's continuing over here to Bryce Canyon.
1: Parkitecture?
0: Parkitecture. So these cabins date from about 1929. Five of the cabins are quadruplexes, 10 are duplexes, and they did such Such a good job making them fit in with the natural environment there on the rim.
1: Yeah, they have a lot of, um, they use some rock on the outside. I mean, they do fit Mm -hmm. right into the little area.
0: Now, like a lot of these cabins that are historic, of course, the park has had to update them. And this has baseboard heat. These fireplaces also have gas piped into them. So you can turn them on with the flick of a switch. And, you know, they update the bathrooms and furnishings and things like that. So you have the rustic outside and then you have the, especially in this one, you have the kind of more modern inside.
1: Yeah, and they have little uh, recycled containers in, in the room where that's where you put the mice in the middle of the night. If, if you're <laughs> just put them in there dump them out in the morning
0: we actually didn't see any mice in these cabins during our stay so anyway these deluxe cabins have changed on the outside very little since they were built except they did update the windows with aluminum frame windows great place to stay i think we've only stayed in these cabins maybe once because they are you know very hard to get but we absolutely love them
1: i'd love to go back there i would too all right, so let's uh, let's stay kind of in the area and go to Grand Canyon.
0: Okay, let's do that. We're going to talk about two different ones in the Grand Canyon on the two different rims. We'll start with the North Rim. This is called the Grand Canyon Lodge, and it's only open from May 15th to October 15th. Although this year, due to some water issues, they didn't open until just a few weeks ago.
1: And one thing to know about this when you're reserving... They have a couple of different types of cabins, uh, one called the Western and another called the Pioneer. And the difference between those two are some have porches and some don't have porches. So what is the Western have the porches and the Pioneers do not?
0: That's right. The Western cabins are more expensive. They're more desirable. They have the porches. They're situated closer to the rim. The Pioneer cabins do not have those really nice outdoor porches. There are more Pioneer cabins. They're a little bit easier to get. But speaking of that, it is extremely hard to get a reservation. When these go up, they are gone almost immediately. We stayed there a year ago in October with our friends, John and Lolly, and Lolly and I both got on at 7 a.m., the day they were gonna be released for that month. We were typing frantically, and every time we had a cabin put in our cart and we went to pay, The message would be, oh, your cart is empty. The cabin is already gone. So it was extremely frustrating. We did not get the um, Western cabins. We both ended up with Pioneer cabins. Still great. Yeah. Still great.
1: Yeah. Pool or pond, but (laughs) pond pond is usually better for us.
0: We were in the pond section. We were in the pond, And we'll talk more about that in a second. But I did want to mention that our friend Gilbert Stanley Underwood also designed the Grand Canyon Lodge and cabins.
1: This guy had a, he, he was he had a corner on the Architecture market back He then.
0: was a busy guy. And what happened was, too, he designed this Grand Canyon Lodge, which was built in 1928. However, this lodge burned down in 1932. And so Gilbert had to come in and design a new lodge, which went up in 1937. And he changed the design. So he had learned a few things. And this time, he used more stone for fire prevention. And he also changed the roofline due to the heavy snow that had accumulated on the old roofline. And I guess that was problematic.
1: And then he he was kind of in his Spanish style exterior phase. Well, that was the first one. Got it.
0: Right. I saw pictures of the first one, and it looks markedly different than the second one, the one that we see today. Yes. And he designed all the cabins, which back then were called regular and deluxe. So we had booked these cabins the night before we were scheduled to hike rim to rim, starting on the North Rim. And these cabins were nice. They were actually really big because remember there were like two sleeping rooms with a bathroom in the middle?
1: We were confused because we've been to a lot of cabins. A lot of times they're duplexes and there was a door in the middle We thought it was a duplex and that somebody else would be on the other side, although there was only one bathroom. So we thought that might be odd to share a bathroom.
0: (laughs) With strangers. With strangers. (laughs)
1: Um, But yeah, it had enough space that you could fit two groups. Yes. But, But we got the whole cabin.
0: Right. And so did John and Lolly. So I guess that's how these cabins are, or at least they were the cabins that we booked. But the next morning when we were comparing notes with John and Lolly, apparently after they had gone to bed... Um, they heard a rustling noise and they had um, they had a friend in their cabin who kept them awake most of the night. And what they were worried about was they had brought in a lot of snacks from their car, um, getting ready for the hike the next morning. So they had, you know, all kinds of food out. So they had to get up in the middle of the night and put all of their food in the little refrigerator there so that the mouse couldn't eat their food.
1: Isn't that your biggest fear in life that a mouse will sit on your head while you're sleeping?
0: <laughs> yes, mouse on head—that's it right there, biggest fear.
1: Well, you know, Karen, the National Park Service has a policy. They have a mouse policy. <laughs> well, it's not just a mouse policy; it's any—it's a critter policy, really. If they don't, the critters live there. It's—it's it's their home too. Mm-hmm. So they don't exterminate the mice or. Whatever other critter might be in your room,
0: they don't set out a trap with a piece they, of cheese on they it.
1: Don't no, they're not going <laughs> to kill them or anything. They're, they discourage them. They discourage the mice from entering the rooms. Uh, you know, they plug the holes or whatever. You know, make sure there's no gaps between the the door and the door jam that they can squeeze through. But you might have visitors at night in, in your room.
0: So what you're saying is that's just part of cabin life.
1: It's part of cabin life. Yes, it's part of cabin life and National Park Service policy.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Good to know. This episode is sponsored in part by Rumple.
1: Rumpel is introducing the world to better blankets with their full line of durable, premium, ultra-warm outdoor blankets and gear.
0: We never leave home without them. The original puffy blanket is made using recycled polyester and insulation that packs down small in its own bag for easy storage and -and grab-and-go adventures.
1: I like them because Rumpel pairs durable 20D ripstop nylon with a DWR finish that's water, stain, and odor resistant. But when you do spill coffee on yours, I can throw it in the washing machine when we get home and it's good as new.
0: Rumple blankets are the best way to stay cozy and warm on any adventure. Whether you're traveling across the country or picnicking at your local park, Rumple has you covered, literally.
1: Shop their line of over 140 prints and designs, including their national park collection, at rumple.com forward slash Bob and Sue. And use the code Bob and Sue for 10% off your first order.
0: That's R U M P L dot com slash Bob and Sue. Okay, moving to the other side of the big ditch to the south rim. We're going to talk about Bright Angel Lodge and cabins, which is open all year round.
1: I love these cabins. These, oh, these are really gosh. nice. Might be my favorite cabin. No, I, I like them all equally.
0: This was a fantastic place to stay. We stayed there for the first time in these cabins last October. But, you know, that entire Bright Angel Lodge is cool.
1: Yeah, we've talked before about how great El Tovar is, but Bright Angel is a historic lodge, too. Unfortunately, we don't have any history on these, Karen.
0: Well, you know what, Matt? I do have just a tiny bit to mention. Back in 1896, 1896, A man named James Thurber had started operating a small wooden lodge on this site, so this is right above where the Bright Angel Trail is, and he he built this to service his stagecoach passengers who wanted to hike along this Bright Angel Trail. So he called this the Bright Angel Hotel, and it was always booked out. So then he started adding more space by building a series of tents, and the whole thing was called Bright Angel Hotel and Bright Angel Tent Camp. Over the decades, the ownership transferred to the Grand Canyon Railroad, and it operated the Bright Angel Lodge and camp for the next several decades. It renovated the complex, and it built new cabins and tents. But the greatest renovation came in 1935, when the railroad decided to completely refurbish the entire complex. And they hired renowned architect Mary Coulter to head the design team. And she constructed a series of new rustic cabins throughout the grounds with a beautiful National Park Service rustic-style architecture.
1: Where was the Underwood guy? Wow, well, he didn't under- get this gig.
0: <laughs> he must have been busy. <laughs> but, you know, Mary Coulter is very famous at the South Rim. She designed Phantom Ranch, And I think she designed seven other structures at the South Rim. I have a
1: question about Bright Angel Trail. Okay. <laughs> you said the stagecoach passengers wanted to hike the Bright Angel Trail back in the 1800s. When, when was that trail built? Wow, so you were actually listening to my Uh, little history uh, channel? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, since you asked, the natural route, which the trail now follows from the rim to the river, was originally used by the Havasupai Indians who lived and farmed down there at Indian Gardens. But then, in 1890 and 91, a group of pioneers did the first construction work on the Bright Angel Trail. Then it was known as the Cameron Trail, They worked on it because of the mining claims near Indian Gardens, but actually the only way they ended up profiting from their efforts was from the toll they collected at the head of the trail, so people had to pay to hike the trail. As a matter of fact, the tolls continued to be collected until 1928, when the trail became the property of the NPS. And then in the winter of 1930, the trail was remade in order to lessen the grade.
1: That's fascinating history, Karen. I know.
0: Can you believe that trail has just been around for longer than than it was a national park, longer than any of the buildings?
1: I can't believe you have all this history just like in your back pocket. (laughs) What else is back there?
0: (laughs) Well, you could ask me some more questions. What else do you want to know? Now, one issue we will mention with staying at the Bright Angel Lodge and cabins is parking. There is no reserved parking for lodge guests.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit of a trick. Although we've we've learned a couple of things. Now, first of all, you can just drive slowly through the parking lot and stare at people. But also, uh, there are a few other parking areas like right across the railroad tracks. Uh, We've had luck doing that. And I know it seems like it's kind of far away, but it's it's actually not a very far walk from the cabins.
0: Yeah. What we have done before is we have parked fairly far away. And then in the evening, when the day trippers leave, we move our car close to the cabin.
1: We upgrade. We upgrade. Yeah. One time we had the absolute best parking spot and and people actually came around and like admired the spot. (laughs) Remember that? We were getting something out of the truck as people came along and, and stopped just to tell us how great the parking spot was.
0: That was one of your proudest moments. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I was so proud. I didn't want to leave the next day. I know.
0: All right. Moving on. What is up next, Matt? Let's see. Where are we?
1: Let's go to, well, you know what we could do? We could go all the way to the eastern side of the country, Karen, to Shenandoah National Park.
0: Okay, Shenandoah and Big Meadows Lodge. This lodge is open from mid-April through early November, and we really love this lodge.
1: We've stayed here a couple times in the fall, and it was really pretty with all the trees changing colors.
0: And, like a lot of the places we've talked about, this is a historic lodge and cabins. On July 3rd, 1936, President Roosevelt. Now, remember, he's in Olympic National Park in 1937. So President Roosevelt is getting around the country. getting around. In 1936, he dedicated Shenandoah as a national park, and he was in Big Meadows at the time. And over the next five years, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the NPS, and the park's new concessionaire constructed the picnic grounds and the campground five cabins and the big meadows lodge
1: and those cabins look very cozy don't they
0: yeah, so here's the thing about the cabins at Big Meadows Lodge. We have actually never stayed in one. And the reason is because when we first visited in 2011, we were with Matt's sister, Sheila. She was able to book a cabin. She got the last one. And we had a room in the lodge, which was great. And we went to her cabin. And we noticed that even though it's very charming and very cozy, the bed is really small. It's only a double bed. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we don't do double beds. One single double bed. Never. <laughs> no, that no. is a
0: deal breaker.
1: <laughs> a queen is pushing it. Right. Like
0: We need to spread out. We yeah, need one of king. us
1: creates a lot of body heat <laughs> at night. <laughs> we need, we need airflow between us. It's not going to happen <laughs> on a double bed.
0: We seriously need some space. So we already knew that we would never stay in one of those cute cabins because all of them have double beds. So fast forward 10 years – we went back with Bob and Sue, and when we're booking our reservations, Sue insisted they wanted to stay in a cabin. And I told her, okay, it only has a double bed, and she, she was insistent on staying in the cabin. We booked a, a different lodge room. So sure enough, the next morning after our first night there... <laughs> Bob and Sue were so miserable because they're big people.
1: They are. like Sue's like 6'5, six 6'6. Six six. <laughs> Bob's oh, got to be over seven feet tall. The tallest couple we've ever seen. They're very tall. They're we very we, tall we look like
0: their children when we're walking with <laughs> yeah. them.
1: Yeah. And we <laughs> act like their children.
0: <laughs> so their feet were sticking out the end of the bed. And the other thing that they mentioned was that. They could actually see gaps. Uh, they could see the outdoors from gaps around the window and around the door frame. And it was cold because we were there in October. And I guess the bedspread is pretty thin. So they didn't have a lot of great things to say about their cabin stay there.
1: Yeah, but if you're small people and, and you don't <laughs> mind freezing at night, it would be good for you. No, you can... <laughs> A double, there's nothing wrong with a double bed no. and if you bring your little rumple blanket with you and Absolutely. put it over to your feet that are sticking out you know, over the end of the bed, you will be
0: fine. And I'm sure people love it. We will never have the chance to experience it because again, you know. The- but we've
1: been in the cabins a couple times.
0: We have. Yeah. And they do have fireplaces that you can try to get started do, with yeah, some wood. Yeah,
1: yeah we, we did that. <laughs> With my sister's room, we uh, never got the fire started. We did fill the room up with smoke, mm-hmm. and then we left.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Big Meadows is a fantastic place to stay. A great location has a lot of history, a lot of charm. Um, it feels like it feels like a national park.
1: Okay, so let's go to the middle of nowhere. Isle Royal National Park.
0: This is the middle of nowhere, and the place we're going to talk about is the only lodging on the island, Rock Harbor Lodge, and they have some, what they call, housekeeping cabins.
1: Yeah, you got it. If you stay there, you have to clean your room and two other <laughs> cabins. <laughs> As part of the deal, I thought that was weird (laughs) that we were making other people's beds, but that's why they call it housekeeping cabins.
0: Oh, that's funny because you're such a germaphobe you would you wouldn't last. I would not do that. (laughs) I I would not do that. All right, so you know, Isle Royal. The park itself is only open in the summer, and so is the lodge and cabins. It's open from June 6th, well, this year it was open from June 6th through September 12th. So it's a summer place.
1: Yeah, fairly short operating season. They have about 20 duplex cabins, and each can accommodate up to six people. Uh, They have private bathrooms, they have a little kitchenette. And then they, I remember they had like utensils and stuff, dishware, like you could cook meals. Yeah.
0: Right, which is great. And I think if I'm remembering right, they had a double bed and two sets of bunk beds. So this is a great place if you have your family.
1: Yeah, we're, we're not opposed to a double bed if we can each have one. Right, <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. And the thing is too, in hindsight, we did not need to stay in a place this big because it was just uh, the two of us. So we probably, if we would if we were to go back, we would probably stay in the lodge where there is a little more action because this is a really remote place. And I remember in the evenings after we would go to the um, the ranger talk, there is not much to do there. Again, you have no TVs, no cell service, no anything. So bring a book. This is a definitely a place to get away from it all.
1: Yeah, you got to be able to entertain yourself.
0: Absolutely. But a very unique stay at a very unique national park.
1: So that is Isle Royal. Okay, let's go back to the mainland to the state of Wyoming and Yellowstone National Park.
0: We're going to talk about the cabins at Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel. Now, there are some other lodging places in Yellowstone that have cabins. We just haven't stayed in any of them. So we're just going to talk about Mammoth Hot Springs Hotel.
1: These cabins, they were a surprise to us because we had stayed at Mammoth Hot Springs, the lodge, the, like the big building. Many times. And then one time we tried to get a room there and we couldn't. And these cabins were open. So didn't know anything about them. Real pleasant surprise.
0: Yes, they're actually located behind the hotel. And yeah, driving by, you wouldn't even know they were there.
1: As our country's very first national park, I'm going to bet you have some information about the history of these cabins.
0: Now, this hotel, Mammoth Hot Springs, was the very first grand hotel to be built within Yellowstone National Park in 1883, and at the time it was called the National Hotel, and visitors used to arrive at the hotel by a six-horse Tallyho Yellowstone Observation Coach. And then at that point they would board a four-horse stagecoach for the Grand Loop Tour of the park. So
1: you got the six-horse coming in and then the four-horse ar- around the park.
0: <laughs> right. How cool would that have been in 1883? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't, know why, I don't know why this happened, but the hotel was dramatically scaled back between 1911 and 1913, and the crews removed the fourth floor, and they flattened the roof. So they added a north wing and... In 1936, most of the old National Hotel was torn down, with the exception of this new North Wing, which they integrated into the new building. And at that point, a new complex of cabins designed by Robert Reamer was built between 1937 and 1938. So those cabins are approaching 90 years old.
1: Yeah, something was going on. You don't just remove the fourth and fifth floor. I know. Right? Yeah, they could have called the underdog guy and had him design it.
0: Underwood. It's Underwood. And, you know, when you look at pictures, the original hotel that was built looks very National Park Service rusticy. And then, you know, when you go to the hotel now, I think it's called Art Modern. It doesn't have the national – Well, it's not park architecture Well, they flatten the roof.
1: <laughs> no, something was going on yes. there was i, I don't <laughs> think the lower structure was able to support that much building so they're like all right just take the top two floors off and flatten yeah. the roof
0: anyway if you want to stay in one of the cabins here's the deal there are a couple different kinds there is a hot tub cabin which we we did not have a hot tub that's the only cabin that's open in the winter. Now, the Frontier cabins, and there are some cabins that don't have a bathroom, those are closed in the winter. But we were there in October, and that was actually a really fun time to go.
1: It was a great time to go because the elk were in their rut. And that, that's a lot more fun than it sounds. But yeah, these male elk are competing for the females,
0: and they can get a little angry. And they were bugling, which is a wild sound to hear when you're out there. If you've been to this um, Mammoth Hot Springs area of the park, you know that there are typically elk all around all the time. But now they were in this rut. So there were a lot of rangers around trying to keep people away from these elk. But it was cool because they were all around our cabin.
1: They were. They were just right outside. There was a little grassy area and the, the, the cabins were situated kind of like in a big circle and there was a grassy area in the middle and there were elk out there. Yeah, you got to stay away from the elk. They, they, will, they will hurt you if they feel like you are uh, competing for the female elk, which, which is pretty much you know every other living thing when when they're in the rut
0: but it was cool to see the cabin we stayed in had a bathroom it was darling it was basically just a bed and a bathroom but had a little front porch it was darling we really really liked it we'd stay there again for sure absolutely okay so moving on to the sister park grand teton national park and we wanted to talk about the cabins at Coulter bay village
1: yeah cool little area the Coulter bay village these are available from late may to late september Mm -hmm. and they are in near original condition.
0: Yeah, so what's cool about this um, property, and I didn't even know this when we stayed there, Matt, so I learned something new when I did the research for this, but John D. Rockefeller Jr. had bought thousands of acres of property there, with the intent of donating it as part of a national park. So, when Grand Teton was expanded in 1950 with Rockefeller's donation of 34,000 acres, it became apparent to the park that the guest accommodations were inadequate. So with funding from Rockefeller, what the park did was they began to develop new visitor facilities and they started taking down older resorts because they wanted to restore most of the park to its natural state. So what they did, Matt, was they took down older cabins and they moved them to this spot at Coulter Bay Village.
1: I did not know that. I
0: didn't either. So cabins were transplanted from the Teton Lodges at Moran, the old Jackson Lake Lodge Resort, and the Square G Ranch, among others. And in 1957, the cabins at Coulter Bay Village were open to the public. And over the years, many of the other dude ranches and resorts have closed, and their cabins were also donated to the park. So Coulter Bay Village grew with the addition of these cabins. So... Very cool, very unique cabins, all kind of situated in rows with different parking areas. You you can park right in front of your cabin if it's uh if it's not flooded. <laughs> if it's not flooded. We had a
1: yeah, we, we had a situation one time when we stayed there. I think it was our first time that the parking lot in front of our cabin was flooded with like four inches of water, not just a, a puddle that you jump over. And so we had to park across the street. And I kept looking at it and I realized that just at the edge of the parking lot, there was a weedy area that all all it needed was somebody to just unclog the weeds just for a few feet and the water would drain away. But no one had taken the time to do that.
0: (laughs) Or the initiative. (laughs) Or the
1: initiative.
0: So so Matt asked the gal at the front desk (laughs) if they had a hoe.
1: (laughs) I thought a hoe. I thought a hoe would be
0: (laughs) the best tool. Just imagine all the questions they get at the front desk of a National Park Lodge. Oh, what's the best hike to do in the area? Oh, what time does the coffee start being served in the morning? Oh, could I borrow (laughs) a (laughs) hoe?
1: I think I said... I need a hoe. Yeah, right,
0: that's a whole nother story. Anyway, surprisingly, they did not <laughs> they, give. They you said a no,
1: <laughs> and then they asked what I needed it for. Because I said, "Well, I gotta, I gotta clear the weeds and and drain the parking lot." And they're like, "No, you don't." <laughs> like they 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 explicitly told me I was not allowed to do that.
0: So the next morning, Matt says, as we're getting ready to leave, Matt says, um. I've got to go out and get something in the car. And so I said, fine. And he didn't return. He didn't return. And I looked out the window, and there is Matt standing in the weeds with a hammer, with the claw end of the hammer, hacking away at the weeds, and hacking and hacking. And so I watched him and watched him. And finally, what happened? Man, it
1: broke through. <laughs> <laughs> the parking lot cleared out. Now, I do think the, the water went, you know, through the weeds, across the road, and then flooded the cabin below us. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we stood hand in hand at the window, watching the water from the parking lot drain. And when it was all gone, literally every drop, I remember you looked at me and you you sighed and you said, I needed a win. Yeah, I
1: got a win that day. You got a win. Uh-huh. Okay, so that is our culture bay cabin
0: a great place to stay it has this kind of family camp vibe because there is a there's a camp store there there is a, a restaurant there's a visitor center you've got the lake there it feels like going to summer camp i think when you it stay does. at uh, at culture bay
1: all right let's keep it moving karen let's go to glacier national park in montana
0: Okay, again, I know there are a couple of lodges in Glacier where you can rent a cabin, but we are going to talk specifically about Swift Current Motor Inn, which is in the many Glacier area.
1: Yeah, it has about 95 cabins and motor inn rooms. The cabins are arranged in circles and and some of them have private bathrooms. They close fairly early in the season. They're open from uh, early June. This year, June 6th, they open. And then they close September 10th.
0: Yeah, it typically starts snowing there in September. So they try to get ahead of the snow and close down the facility. Get out while the getting is good.
1: We had no plans on staying here. But one day we were there with John and Lolly. The trailhead for Tarmagen Tunnel and Iceberg Lake is right there in the parking lot of this little area. So we drove over there, parked. We were planning on driving pretty far away to a a campsite after we did these hikes. So we go up Tarmagen Tunnel, then Iceberg Lake, and then back to the parking lot, which was, I think, 17 miles.
0: It was brutal, yes, and we were so exhausted. And it's now like you know four thirty, five o'clock, and the last thing we wanted to do was drive forty five minutes to St. Mary's, where we had a campground reservation, and then start setting up our camp. So, so
1: yeah, uh, the place was packed but we thought we would eat dinner in the restaurant before we went driving to our campsite. And I, and so we go in the lodge, and I said to John, I said, we should just go to the front desk and act like we're checking in. (laughs) And John encouraged me to do that. So I go up to the front desk and I said, yeah, we're here to check in. The last name Smith and the woman, she was looking at the computer and surprisingly (laughs) she said, well, we don't have any Smith. We don't have a reservation for you. So I said, "Oh yeah, I don't have a reservation." So we were just being knuckleheads. Mm-hmm. And we were going to leave and you know because we had told our joke and then we were ready to go and she's like, "Well, do you need a room?" And we said, "Sure. What do you what do you got?" And she said, "Well, I think I have two cabins open." So total coincidence. That they had two cancellations for
0: cabins. It was a Christmas miracle because Christmas miracle. we really needed showers. I mean, it was seriously one of the greatest things that had ever happened to us. That's right. So, we
1: got, so that, that's why we stayed there.
0: <laughs> so, Matt, you just skipped right over the little history channel here, but I did want to mention that this Swift Current Motor Lodge had kind of a hodgepodge development. So, the Great Northern Railway established a teepee camp here in 1911 not a tent camp a teepee camp guests would arrive here on horseback and they slept on army cots in a full-size replica of the 23 pole blackfeet indian teepee how cool is that The
1: 23 pole i've stayed in like yeah i've stayed in the 17 pole (laughs) teepees before but never the 23 pole
0: So back in 1933, 27 cabins were built by the Superior Building Company, and the area became known as the Many Glacier Auto Tourist Camp. Mid-century modern motel buildings were added in 1955, and here's what was going to happen. As, as cabins kind of fell out of favor during the 1950s, the National Park Service and Glacier Park Company drew up plans to tear down all the cabins, and they were going to build more motels because they thought that's what the public wanted. But fortunately, because the wheels of progress were turning so slowly back then, the cabins didn't get torn down. And as we know, eventually they came back into favor. And so now these rustic cabins are the first lodging options to sell out at Swift Current Lodge.
1: Okay, for our final two cabins, let's head to Alaska.
0: Let's go to Alaska and talk about some really unusual places to stay. I think one of our absolute favorites would have to be at Katmai National Park, and that would be the Brooks Camp Cabins.
1: That's right. At Brooks Camp, they're open from June first to September seventeenth, and the National Park Service operates a visitor center there, right on the shores of Neck 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 Lake. <laughs> <laughs> if we got that right, yeah. There's a, also a ranger station there, a campground, a little auditorium that they do uh, daily ranger-led programs. They also have a lodge there.
0: They do. And they have cabins. Now, again, this lodge itself, you don't stay in the lodge. There is, That's where you eat. But they have cabins. They have 16 cabins. Now, these the thing about these is they're very rustic. I'm not sure they have been updated in a long, long time. But you don't go here to stay in the cabin itself. You go here to experience the wildlife.
1: Yeah, they have bears there.
0: Very big bears.
1: Yeah, the, the brown bears now. <laughs> the brown bears come out of the mountains when the salmon run. Yeah, I mean, this this whole area, this Brooks Camp, it was originally a fishing camp. And there's a couple of salmon runs, one kind of ending June, early July. So that's one. And then another second run in September. And if you're going to go to see the bears, that's when you want to go.
0: That's right, because you can see them in Brooks Camp and all the way to the viewing platforms that are on the river there. But I think one of the things that that surprised us was we had seen photos of these viewing platforms that people stand on next to the river, and they take photos of all the bears catching the salmon. But what we didn't realize is they would actually be walking around our cabin.
1: (laughs) yeah they aren't milling around all the time, but they we were there for maybe what twenty six twenty eight hours, something like that, and in the course of that time, they would come walk past us probably ten different times. Mm-hmm. I mean just once in a lifetime, that's an amazing experience to have it happen you know, a handful, two handfuls of times in in a visit. That's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, we have never experienced anything like that. And I doubt we will again, unless we go back to Katmai. But just a, a few of the details here. So I mentioned there are 16 cabins. Each one does have a bathroom and two sets of bunk beds. So you could... Have four people in there. You know, if you wanted to cut down on the price, you could um, take another couple with you and share a room. Although it would be very cozy because the room is is tiny. It's basically the two bunk beds.
1: Yeah, but like you said, you're not in the room very often. Or at least you shouldn't be because you're there to see the sights, see the wildlife.
0: Right. Now, this year, the cabins cost $955 per night. And the meals in the lodge are served buffet style, and that is an extra charge for for breakfast and for lunch and for dinner.
1: Now, you have to apply for the lottery to stay there, and that lottery goes up. What, a year and a half ahead of time? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thousands of people apply every year. So I I don't know what the percentage chance there is of winning the lottery.
0: Well, yeah, it's not great because when you think that there are only 16 cabins and... It's such a short window of time that people all want to go, you know, when the salmon are running and when the most bears are out. When we did it in 2011, there was no lottery. And I don't even remember, Matt, how far ahead you booked that. Do you?
1: It wasn't very far ahead. It was a few months because I remember because I was surprised that we got it. And so that has changed. It's it's much more popular now. Now, that price also does not include your flights there.
0: Right. And it's multiple flights.
1: (laughs) Well, right. Uh, Generally, I think you'd go to Anchorage and then you would take a smaller plane to White Salmon. That's a little tiny town that's just outside of Katmai National Park. And then from White Salmon, uh, they take you by small float plane over to Brooks Camp.
0: And I know people come in various ways. You know, they might be um, with an outfitter doing something else, like salmon fishing, and the outfitter flies them in. So there are other options. But, yeah, it's it's not easy to get there, and it is one of the more expensive Alaska trips. But it is so worth it. And the thing is, too, we should mention, we only stayed one night, and that really was plenty.
1: Yeah, that was enough. Uh, we were there early July, a day seemed to be enough.
0: It did. Now, I should say, as soon as I said that, of course, I thought about they do offer bus tours to this place called the Valley of 10,000 Smokes. And we thought about doing that on our second day, but we weren't exactly sure what time they were going to fly us out. And we didn't think we had enough time to do that bus ride, um, see that area and and make it back. So if if that's something that you want to do, then you actually probably would need two nights.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: All right, moving from the very rustic Brooks Camp cabin, we're going to switch gears and go to Denali um, and head to the Backcountry Lodge Cabin.
1: I remember staying there. That was very unusual because um, we got there late in the day and um, I wanted to go for a hike, but then we realized it was midnight.
0: It is kind of fun to go in the summer when the sun really never sets in July. I mean, it gets a little bit darker, but not much. So the Denali Backcountry Lodge is open from early June to mid-September, and it's located at the end of the 92-mile Denali Park Road. Now, this place has changed. So we went in 2011, and we liked it a lot, but it was – It seemed like a typical cabin and a typical backcountry lodge. But then we heard that right after that, the lodge sold, has new owners. And now it's become kind of a she-she spa experience.
1: More luxury type. Yes. It's more of a luxury type stay with gourmet meals, a spa. We we missed the spa. (laughs) Uh, And a much higher price tag.
0: That's right. I think your spa, Matt, was when we had to hang our our wet clothes in the, that little drying room that had the heater blowing and you would just sit on that wooden bench because it was the only place we could get warm.
1: <laughs> well, it was rainy. So it was, uh, again, I think this was, uh, it was in July sometime. It was rainy the whole time we were there. And They had a shed with a big fan and a heater. And it was a shed for everyone to hang all of their wet clothes. And it was just lined. All the walls were lined with clothes and the uh, hot air was blowing. But it felt so good, I would just sit in there. I didn't want to leave.
0: I know. That was your own little spa right there. That was my
1: spa, yeah.
0: Yes. Now, things are a little different because the Denali Park Road is closed at mile 43. And, you know, there is no traffic going beyond that point. So now they fly their guests in via helicopter. And I was looking at their website. And you might wonder, what the heck do you do in this backcountry of Denali?
1: Well, now they have all sorts of options. You can paddleboard and kayak. You can go gold panning back there. Mm-hmm. There's a little uh, local history tour around Kantishna that you can do. Uh, there's fishing. There's mountain biking. Uh, you can go down to the Wonder Lake, which is not too far from uh, the lodges and take pictures, yada, yada, yada.
0: Right, or my favorite thing, you could you could take advantage of the lodge's spa. It says they have um, a range of treatments. <laughs> I need some treatments, <laughs> including Swedish Thai and hot stone massage. Yeah. Now, who wouldn't love that? You can do all those things. <laughs> right.
1: We, we didn't do any of those things. No,
0: we didn't because it wasn't offered.
1: We just went for a hike.
0: <laughs> right. Now, we spent two nights there and one full day, and we went on a hike on our own. I guess they have guided hikes now, too. We were on our own, Um, and I, all I remember of that is the mosquitoes bit through our raincoats.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're pretty healthy mosquitoes. Mm-hmm.
0: They yeah. were out in full force. But we looked, uh, because we were curious about what we paid versus what it costs now, we paid $1,778 total for two nights for the both of us, and that included our transportation back and forth along the Denali Park Road. And all of our meals.
1: Yeah. That's not what it costs today.
0: No. <laughs> no, it costs
1: uh, either sixteen fifty or seventeen fifty. That's one thousand six hundred and fifty dollars mm-hmm. or one thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars per person per night. Of course it depends on which cabin you stay in there. Right. And it's a minimum of two nights. Right. Hopefully they include the helicopter flight in all that.
0: Well, you would think so because, I mean, I did the math. So for two nights for two people, you're going to pay between $6,600 and $7,000, depending on your room. And, of course, that doesn't include the cost of getting yourself to Denali.
1: Yeah, for that they should probably give you a helicopter. You <laughs> just get to so. fly that helicopter home when you're done.
0: <laughs> maybe so. So for all of you who are feeling flush, who have some extra money to spend, this might be for you. For the rest of us, I'm thinking that once they finish the road construction and they reopen that park road, maybe the cost will go down, you know, without the helicopter flight, maybe would drop drastically. I've no <laughs> it idea. Would ha- <laughs> it
1: would have to. <laughs> Otherwise, we're taking the bus back there. We're looking at it. And then we're taking the bus back to the, the, the entrance of the park. And we'll, I'll take you to the local spa. My local spa has a happy hour. Does
0: it? Yeah. (laughs) What three dollar beers and (laughs) uh huh,
1: and that's your spa.
0: (laughs) Okay. Anyway, we did really enjoy ourselves there. I think one thing that was cool was in this dining room, and it's you know it's like a pre-fixed meal where they bring out your dinner. It's 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 just one thing, I believe, if I'm remembering that correctly. Well,
1: there's more than one thing on the plate
0: right but one entree like you don't order off a menu as well I I'm remember seeing
1: green beans and potatoes on my plate <laughs> okay. I forget what else okay. so there was there more was, than one thing it's was, not like this just green
0: beans <laughs> no there was a meat of some kind but what I'm what I'm trying to say Matt is that they are fairly big tables, and so you sit down with other people at these round tables. So it was kind of fun because we met people from other states and other places, um, even even around the world, and uh, all gathered here in this little backcountry lodge in, in the middle of Alaska. So it really is a cool experience.
1: What if you've already met all the people you want to meet? <laughs> <laughs> is there... Is there then a separate you, table?
0: That you take your dinner into the little warming shed oh, and you yeah. sit on the bench there and, and uh eat your dinner amongst the wet clothes.
1: Yeah, there was some exhaust though from one of the engines <laughs> that was it was a little hard to breathe in there, but um, yeah, I might try that.
0: All right. Okay, that is all we have for today's episode. You know, we would encourage all of you to stay in a park cabin at least once and see if it's for you. And as we mentioned, there are other lodges throughout the parks that have cabins. So there's more out there than just the ones we talked about today
1: okay folks thanks for tuning in today we'll be back at the end of august with a brand new mailbag episode exclamation point
0: that's right always excited about mailbag but for now we need to go and plan our last minute trip to the north rim that's right let's get that cabin while it's still there